Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Welcome. This is Elio with the Spectrum Strategy Group. And today I have Eileen Lamb with me here um, from the Autism Cafe. And um, she is a blogger and um, just, I would say, an influencer definitely on all different social media. Um, so uh, I've been following you for a little while and really, you know, a lot of um, your messaging was very impactful to me, so I wanted to connect. And, um, you know, I'd love it if you could just give our audience a little bit of background about yourself, because they might not all be seeing what I've seen. <laughs> so um, if you could just give a quick background, that'd be great. Hey, and thanks for having me, by the way. I'm really excited to be here to share my story. So I'm Eileen uh, Lamb. I'm an uh, author, photographer, blogger, <laughs> influencer, a lot of things uh, from France, but I live in, uh, in Austin, Texas now. Uh, I'm on the spectrum, autistic, and so are my two children. Um, Charlie, my oldest, is level three, so on the severe end of the spectrum, he's nonverbal. And then my youngest son, Jude, is uh, very high functioning, uh, like me, and was actually diagnosed very recently at, uh, at five years old. And that's okay, well, excellent. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things I, I found interesting first was, well, your your images, your your photography work is beautiful. So that was what captured my attention first, to be honest. Um, and then from there, I, you know, the captioning and just you writing about your experience as a, a parent, um, as a mom, and then also disclosing you yourself um, being diagnosed. Uh, can you know, just curious, was that a later diagnosis for you or, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I was uh, 26. I I mean, I always felt different, you know, when I was a kid. I grew up in France. Um, I mean, even now in France, autism is so unknown to, to a lot of French people, the French culture. I don't know the exact numbers, but there are so many less kids being diagnosed uh, with autism in France right now, as of 2021. Um, so back then, you know, I grew up in the 90s. Uh, it was like I had no chance of getting diagnosed in France, especially being high functioning. Um, but so after Charlie, my son was diagnosed. Uh, he was diagnosed at 22 months old, so very early. Uh, I started telling my mom about it, right? And I was like, uh, you know, Charlie has been diagnosed with autism. I know you probably don't know much about it, but this is why and why. And she's like, well, no, he's not autistic. You were the exact same way as a child. <laughs> I'm like, well, I know he's autistic. He was just diagnosed and like pretty sure. So have you ever thought that maybe it is because mm. I'm on the spectrum? 
and then, you know, from there on, it started, I started researching. Um, at first, I kind of shrugged it off because I, I didn't know much about high-functioning autism at the time. So it was weird to me that I could have the same diagnosis as my son. It was like nonverbal, like very in his, in his own world. You know, I, I was in my own world, but uh, anyway, I, I went through a therapeutic assessment, um, basically with a psychologist. It's, you know, dozens of hours of tests, interviews with my family members, um, cognitive testing, observation. I mean, you know, it's very, a long, long process. And at the end of it, uh, I was diagnosed with uh, mm-hmm. high-functioning autism. Right, so, right. Now, how do you yeah. think that has helped you um, as a parent as well. So, so again, again, I'm wondering, were you a parent before you were, well, yeah, I guess because you found out your son was on, right. So, um, how did that, how did that maybe change your way of parenting or looking at, you know, your own, I guess your own day to day and your, your child's day to day? It did in a way that, um, well, with Charlie, I'm uh, very aware of certain things that other people are not aware. Like for instance, when he's sensitive to noise, uh, you know, noise that a lot of people are just able to ignore, like it's no big deal. And Charlie and I, we react to, we react to the same, same type of noise, even if they're like not super loud. Um, so for instance, I'm able to, you know, provide Charlie with more like support in, in those moments uh, where other people don't understand him as well as I do. Um, but as far as parenting in general, it hasn't changed much. I mean, I'm still like doing my best, basically. Um, it's it's hard because, especially with Charlie, uh, his needs and the support he needs changes constantly. So I'm always having to readjust how I parent him, how to provide the support, and it's it's constantly evolving and changing so i i can't say that i have like a specific parenting style or something it's just i'm listening to what he needs and i do my best you know to use my own autism as a as a guide to understand what he's feeling even though our like i said i'm very high functioning and he's on the severe side so it's different but you know it's still the same diagnosis so there is overlap on certain things and I use that to to guide me. Mm-hmm. Whenever I, say, I, I can. think I think that is a parenting style, right? Following your child's lead, no matter <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious. I know we talked about like the disparity between maybe your own diagnosis, your you know Charlie's diagnosis, and then your younger son's diagnosis. Um, it's a it's a conversation I had recently um, with someone else about. Um, you know, the, the, you know, there used to be the level setting and then it was taken away or we had Asperger's and then we had PDDNOS and we had autism. Then those went away. Then we tried leveling. Then that went away. Now we have some leveling back. <laughs> um, you know, I, the, you know, when I was talking with this other person, it, it makes it very, I, I think it complicates it in some ways more to have all of the different die, you know, all the different terminology that we've grown accustomed to. Um, but also putting it all, all under one bucket of ASD, um, also has its own complexity here too. Right. So, 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 so you experience a bit of all of it, um, on a regular basis. So how do you, 
how does that help or hurt for you, I guess? Well, um, personally, I think the levels are good um, for the reasons I was just talking about, because it can be hard for people to understand how Charlie and I were both autistic, yet he can communicate his needs. And I'm here on a podcast telling you about my own autism, you know, but it's the same diagnosis. Um, so we need a distinction there between high functioning. I, I don't like the term low functioning. I try not to use that. I say severe high support needs for Charlie. Um, I feel like low functioning is a little bit degrading, even though, you know, it's true. And I, I wouldn't take offense, but, um, but yeah, I think it's important to have some type of, of distinction there. At the same time, just because someone is high functioning doesn't mean they don't struggle, you know? So I don't want to discuss that either. Like for me, I, I have the opposite issue from Charlie. My issue is that people don't see my disability. So they just assume I'm uh, quote normal. And then if I can do something that a 31 year old woman should be able to do, uh, you know, without thinking, people are very confused. Um, and that's the issue with an invisible disability is that people don't see your needs. They don't see your difference. So they just expect you to be able to act like everyone else. And that can create uh, issues. So yeah, I think levels are important, but you know, just because someone is high functioning doesn't mean they're not struggling. I think that's important. Yeah, and I think to, that to adds remember. to the complexity of how um, you know we we work with different people. I know I was actually just speaking to someone you know who worked in the employment world, and she usually consults with employers, and they say, well, if someone has ADHD what do we do? And if someone has autism, what do we do? And if someone, you know, like putting people in boxes, like, like there was some magic checklist of what you do <laughs> when someone has a particular need, you know, or I guess label is really the better word or a diagnosis, then we must do these things. And I think, um, you know, I think there is that misconception sometimes in, you know, even in schooling, I know when working in special education, you're creating you know, an IEP, there are some schools who actually have the, oh, well, when someone is diagnosed with autism, we do all of these things. And it's like, well, but does the kid actually need all of those things or, or are those not the right things? Maybe they need other things. So have you experienced that as well? Yeah, at school, at school? or anywhere, really. <laughs> you know, uh, both uh, Charlie and Jude just started public school this year for the first time. And I'm navigating the system right now. And, you know, with Jude, we didn't get him uh, an IEP because he's, like I said, he's, he's really high functioning. And we kind of want to see where, how he's going to manage without, without one. Uh, and I know that schools, they fight you so hard, especially if the child is, you know, like Charlie, they can't say anything. He can't talk, you know, it's so obvious. But for a child like Jude, where it's not so obvious that they have autism, um, I've heard horrible stories of parents having to like fight so hard for their needs to be met, for having an IEP in place and all of that. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, but Charlie, so he, he did one week at school, right? Uh, first week of school. And uh, right away, they saw that they couldn't provide the support he needs uh, at the school by our house. So tomorrow we have a IEP meeting to uh, discuss uh, transfer. 
So he's already getting transferred after a week because his needs can't be met there. Um, and honestly, they were asking me just today, like, what needs do you, what are, what are his needs? You know, what are we going to work on at, at the school? And I, I mean, I don't know, because I want him to like work on, you know, learning like other kids, numbers, that type of stuff. He's eight, you know, but I also know it's not realistic because he, he can't even communicate and he has all of these, you know, behaviors on the side. And it's just, I, I don't know how to get the, the best support for, mm -hmm. for them. But for Charlie, yeah. yeah, no, it is. It is a hard process. And um, just just entering into the process, I know many parents who have multiple children who who would, let's say, qualify for an IEP. You know, they choose they choose sometimes one of them because it's like, OK, I know I need one needs more support than maybe another one. Um, and I need to focus on that. And I think um, that gets that gets into the topic of. Right. Like, what is it that a family um, is able to, to do. I mean, and what I mean by that is each family and each child is so unique that the, the needs are going to be unique and not just in what they might need. Right. So here the school's asking you, what is, what does Charlie need? And you're like, I, I don't know, we're figuring it out. Um, and also it's not just what they need, but also what is this, you know, family willing and able to be able to support. Um, I know there are so many, I know when, again, there's that checkoff list when someone gets diagnosed, it's like 25 hours of ABA or, you know, whatever the number is. And some families are like, yeah, but they also have speech and they also have OT and, you know, we have regular family, like there's a lot of commitment there. So what works best for one family might not work as well for another family. Um, and also, you know, working, then there's, you know, both parents might be working or whatever the situ family situation is, you know, might not allow for all that. So we need to really look at what works best for each family, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, yeah, even over time yeah. that, that can yeah. change too. You know, it's not, that's yeah, I, I, I had thought about it when I was going through the school process, um, you know, I was one of those parents who had a hard time getting, you know, anyone to acknowledge again, the invisible disability part of it was, um, was hindering my son's ability to get those extra supports that he did need. And also very articulate and, you know, no, there's nothing. It's just a little, you know, they just kind of wanted to, to minimize that. And, um, it wasn't until we moved that we actually got the support that he needed and what, what a big difference. Um, but then it was also choosing, well, there, there's this big list of things that I know he might need. Where's my priority, right? Like, wh what's the priority? And, and for us, um, priority was anxiety. So we were like, we're going to focus on that because if, if we don't work on that, well, some of the other stuff won't matter. <laughs> we need to minimize, right, how hard it is to, to be at school, let's say. Um, so how have you, you know, how have you tried navigate? I mean, I know that they just started school, but I know that there's been a lot of work done probably before school, just from your posts and things. How have you navigated, like, kind of choosing what works best? Well, clearly we didn't <laughs> make the right choice because we're already needing to change. Um, but we, we knew from the beginning, we're just like, 
what we need to do right now is get Charlie into the school system and take it from there because, I mean, we did not really have a choice, to be honest. He had to start at the school we, mm -hmm. you know, in our district. So we knew that most of the work would be done after they actually saw him. You know, I tried to get him evaluated before school started, but they have like a crazy mm -hmm. time to do the evaluation, which is like 45 mm -hmm. to 60 days, I think. Uh, so it, it hasn't happened yet. And with the summer break, it just didn't happen before school started uh, for them to evaluate Charlie and have all of that in place before, mm -hmm. before school started. But now <laughs> that the ball is rolling, um, I know we're going to be able to, to get him uh, what he needs. And we don't even know yet what that is because we still have a choice between like, uh, you know, another public school, but that has a life skill program where he would be able to be with other kids, um, you know, neurotypical kids, like a mix of both. And then there is a special needs school where he would be with uh, disabled kids. Well, the thing is there, they, on, they have a ABS therapist. I mean, the, the staff is very mm -hmm. trained at that special needs school, you know, um, but it feels like, um, I don't know, part of me would like him to try to, to go to, you know, public general mm -hmm. school. Uh, nothing wrong with being with, you know, only disabled kids, but yeah, I'm, I'm just curious, I guess. So I think what I want to do is try him at that uh, other public school that has more support mm -hmm. than the current one. And if that doesn't work out, then move him to a, you know, a full-time um, special, special yeah. ed. Uh, yeah, no, and school. I think it's yeah. important, you know, having this conversation because this is, I would say, you know, the fact that you're only one week into the school, you know, the school year that they've already raised that, oh, wait, I don't know if we can do that uh, here. Uh, is actually a good thing, which means they're really being observant. Um, because in other schools, sometimes kids get lost or they try. And, and now, you know, maybe sometimes we lose a few months and we haven't, you know, there hasn't been much progress made. So um, I commend your district on doing that, which is great. And also just you're thinking out loud here with me about what what would, you know, what might work and why would you choose one school versus another? And again, I think uh, so many people have, and every people have had good experiences with both types of schools and people have had bad experiences with all the different choices. Right. And I think um, something that I try to uh, impress upon families I work with is that a lot of this is a trial and error <laughs> process. <laughs> right. I, I think, you know, like you said, we're all trying to do the best we can. Um, but we try something, maybe knowing in our heart about something or knowing how we know our kids um, and then pick something that makes sense and try to see how see how it goes and navigate that process. Um, so so I, I appreciate you sharing with that because it is real. And I, and I know for sure, since we're early on in the school year, that there are many people who are hitting that, you know, or just sending their kids off and hoping I didn't get a phone call today. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that, you know. Yeah, good <laughs> um, now, another thing, you know, I think, again, in choosing the right resources, and we, you know, I chatted with you about this before um, talking here today, was one of the, some of the posts that moved me specifically were ones around 
um, ABA. And I think um, you had mentioned that there's a, you know, you're looking at, at this public school, there are therapists there. Um, but I think you have been working with ABA therapists beforehand. Um, and I know many families do. And one of the things I've been trying to kind of tease out from people is, you know, I think ABA, there are a lot of misconceptions around ABA. And when I say ABA, for those, if you haven't listened to some of my other podcasts, but it's applied behavior analysis, um, which is not an autism specific therapy, by the way, for those who don't know that it is used for a lot of different things. Um, but is that there are a lot of misconceptions. And that's how I started my work. Um, and I transitioned into other teaching. But I know um, you have worked with a therapist and has been very successful in a lot of things for you and for your family. And you got a lot of backlash for that online. You've gotten a lot of people writing some pretty, I surprisingly offensive things. <laughs> and your responses are so gracious and so honest. Um, and I really appreciated that. And I appreciated you bringing your perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I'm curious, like when you when you put yourself out there as, you know, and as, as an advocate and as a parent about what your experience is and you get that kind of um, feedback. I mean, what was your were, were you expecting that kind of feedback or, or were you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, not the, the very first time, but I mean, I, I learned very quickly that uh, talking about ABA in the autism community would uh, expose me to uh, pretty severe uh, back, mm -hmm. uh, backlash. Um, I, I know it now, but I'm not going to stop talking about it just because people get mad because um, when parents get a diagnosis, like you said, often the doctor is going to recommend ABA and then parents are going to go online and they're going to look for, you know, hey, what's ABA? And they're going to see all the horror stories, like terrible stories about ABA, how it's abuse and it's like training a dog and it's going to give them PTSD. And if we don't talk about the other side, which mm -hmm. is like 90, I don't know, I'm not actual stats, but probably like 99% of, you know, experiences are good. If we don't talk about that side, then people are not going to put their kids in, in therapy, even though that could benefit them so much. So that's why it's so important for me to keep talking about it, even though people are going to insult me. I mean, and it's just like, it's always the same thing. So it's not even, I mean, it affects me still, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm abusing my kids. Thank you. I've heard it. You know, it's so Okay. Yeah. And I think, yeah. Yeah. And you have, a, you have a blog post about the misconceptions around ABA and, and my understanding from, you know, just kind of hearing res not responses just to, to your post, but to a lot of the autism community talking about ABA, um, you know, is particularly, oh, you know, it, it stops kids from, you know, stimming, which is like really important to regulation, you know, emotional regulation and, um, and you know, the other is, you know, it, it wants it's it, that the central tenant is to make kids less autistic or not autistic or be normal, right? Like to fit into the normal society. And, you know, having started in that process, like 20 years ago myself, um, it has changed so much since when I learned how to how, learned that, uh, you know, many, many years ago to where we are today, I think it's very different. 
and and I know you've talked about it, but it also depends on the provider and the program that you're in. Um, but but can we can we talk about aside from what we know or we think people know about ABA? I mean, I don't think those things are true. I think maybe they were once true. I think I I remember the minimizing, you know, stimming, like even just hand flapping, which now they would never do or shouldn't be doing. But it, you know, if we're talking about more self-injurious behaviors, right? We need to look at those. The, there are these extremes here, and I think people are missing that part here. Yeah, yeah. I well, that's the thing, though. A lot of the vocal anti-ABA people on the internet, they're again very high-functioning, and maybe their steams are not harmful, but. For a lot of autistic people, when they're steaming, it's not just going to be cute hand flapping. They're going to be like hitting themselves, head banging, scratching. I mean, steaming is not always uh, harmless. And distinction needs to be met there. Like, why would I not stop that? He's not happy. He's hurting himself. And it's it's confusing. Um, yeah, I haven't seen therapists stop steaming unless it's harmful or it's, if it's so constant that like the child cannot do anything else and he's just like, you know, uh, out of control and won't focus on anything in that case. But that's the same as a child who would be running around the classroom um, instead of, you know, sitting and coming down to, to listen. Like, it's just, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's an autistic behavior. And same with everything else in ABA when people say, Oh, you're just trying to make your child normal. Uh, no, I'm trying to teach him to communicate. I don't want him to be normal. I want him to be happy. Like, shouldn't doesn't he deserve to communicate like any other child his age? Because he's not happy when he can communicate, you know. So I'm not just gonna, you know, let him be autistic and not be able to communicate in the name of neurodiversity. No, like that's not how it works. Same with him, like running in front of cars or eating non-edible objects and non-food. Um, that's not good. Like that's the type of things ABA helps with. How is that negative? Does that mean I want him to not be autistic? No. Again, I just want him to be safe, independent, and I want him to be able to communicate his needs. Like these are skills that everyone takes for granted until they meet someone like Charlie, you know? And I think everyone deserves uh, to be safe, independent, and uh, to be able to communicate. That has nothing to do about the diagnosis or not. No, these are just basic skills. Mm -hmm. That's what ABA yeah, does. Yeah, no, and I know there's, there's such a wide range of pieces, and I think the more um, individualized we look at that, the, right, the, the more helpful that can be. And I, you know, I appreciate you sharing, you know, how, you know, we're talking about severe behaviors that, you know, most people don't see. And I think, um, I think sometimes what, what gets lost in communication is possibly, uh, you know, there are autistics that cannot communicate the way we're used to. And so we're not even hearing that voice oftentimes because we haven't, they don't have the tools. Um, they don't have the platform. And and I, and again, I, and I know you've mentioned it in some of your writing, but it's 
it's not necessary. We're not necessarily talking with words here either. There are so many ways to communicate now with technology um, and, and even simple technology, you know, like pictures and things. Um, and I think that's the sometimes I think we're not hearing that voice of people who, you know, aren't don't have the, the ability to be able to use their words and the way we're used to hearing them. Yeah, I I think it's important. That's mm -hmm. why I use the word communicate instead of talk, because yeah, communication doesn't have to be verbal. I would love for Charlie to talk. Don't get me wrong, but if he becomes fluent uh, using his iPad to communicate, uh, I would be thrilled. I mean, his iPad, sign language, anything. I just want him to communicate. It doesn't have to be uh, with his voice. Um, but right now, he can only communicate basic needs mm -hmm. with his iPad. So like. I want cookie, you know, it's basically uh, food items, mm -hmm. um, which is great, you know, because I'm so much better than when he was younger and before ABA when he couldn't tell us anything. At least now he can communicate those basic needs, but like we don't know if he's hurting. We don't know what he's feeling. Uh, we don't know what his favorite color is. You know, all of these open-ended questions, we, we don't and know. And I think, you know, and again, not being inside Charlie's, you know, head or other, you know, people like Charlie, we, I can't understand necessarily what the level of frustration might be. But this sometimes uh, does account for behaviors that we might see because, right, if, if people aren't able to understand what I'm trying to communicate, um, I remember reading a post somewhere that, you know, what we see as possibly, and I will put in quotes, bad behavior um, or poor behavior is really just trying to communicate a frustration or communicate a need. And we don't understand it. So, you know, they're doing the best that they can to try to get us to at least pay attention to figure something out for them. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> yes. Neurotypical in adults. When I get angry often is because I feel misunderstood and I want to express myself, you know? Right. No, no, definitely. And it's funny, a lot of things, it, all, it comes up often. Um, a lot of things that we say, well, that happens to neurotypicals too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's just a human thing, I think, right? If a lot of behaviors. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, again, as as you move through like the process, maybe going into, um, into more schooling and as your kids get a little older, what, um, are there things that you've discovered as you're just entering the process that maybe you had hoped people did a better job at, or maybe you would like people to do? I know we have a, I have a lot of educators that listen, um, to, to this podcast as well. And, you know, many are just looking at what can I do to make things better for families, for students? Um, what I've worked with a bunch of educators who are working on parent communication right now. Um, so is there anything that you've discovered up till now that you wish could have been done a little bit differently or better? Well, yeah, I wish the evaluation process was, uh, mm -hmm. was faster. So it could have been evaluated before school started. Um, but that happens at some schools. I don't know. Maybe we started the process too late. Mm -hmm. Might have been a bit of our fault. I don't know. But I feel like, I mean, that's the law. Like I said, I think mm -hmm. it's 45 days to uh, to do the evaluation. That seems like a very long time. And uh, should be in everyone's 
everyone's best interest to to get that done as soon as possible. So, you know, the school knows how to help the child, and so the sh the child is actually getting help. So, like right now, that's the main thing where I'm I'm frustrated. Um, but um, yeah, you know, it it took them like two hours to figure <laughs> out they couldn't take care of Charlie. Yeah, that's it's, he hasn't even been in the classrooms. They have him like in a you know, it's like there's someone at the school basically mm -hmm. taking care of him one-on-one, -on -one, like around, and he's not even in the classroom environment. They just don't have anyone who can do that for him. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know, I mean, at least he's <laughs> in a school. Uh, it's the start, like it's yeah. the transition, I guess. But I'm I'm looking forward to, for him to actually be in a, in a real classroom and have I don't mm -hmm. know, schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's the communication piece. Um, you know, I know there is the 45 days and a lot of it is because there are so many requests for, you know, similar type of evaluations. Um, and I know, you know, it's interesting, but he had the diagnosis going into school, right? So we can just have like a real time conversation here. But so did they not want to start with that diagnosis? you know, with, with a medical diagnosis first, in addition to, um, the edge, I know they're doing the edge, they're, you're waiting on the educational one now, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure mm -hmm. why. Um, but even though, you know, he has the, the diagnosis, medical diagnosis, I feel mm -hmm. like they should have seen him made a point to see him before the school started because all autistic kids are so different. And like, I can tell you about Charlie, but it's never going to tell you as much as if you spend like, I don't know, an hour with him, you know, they would have learned so much more by just looking at him, interacting with him. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I thinking, think. no, I was just curious. Cause when, um, you know, usually when there's a medical diagnosis, you know, they, there's done all of the, um, like all that background work and all of the, you know, observations and all that, all that piece would be something that would transfer over as additional information that they could use. Um, so I know I'm just here, just, I'm just thinking about it. It might be something that you can bring to the school and say, Hey, we already, you know, he's already been in programming. These are things that we've been working on, which, you know, could, could transfer. I mean, I get if they don't have the resources, then that takes time and things, but, um, but that could be, you know, perhaps something we could talk about offline too a little bit. And maybe um, if you need a little bit of help, I can help you with that. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. And so I'm, I'm just curious as we kind of, you know, think a little bit about um, kind of wrapping up, um, you know, is there anything else that you, you hope that families could kind of take away from the work that you do? And, uh, you know, not just families, but I will say educators and, you know, you've worked with, you know, I have therapists who listen in as well. Um, and, and adults, I have a fair amount of adults, um, w with autism, uh, that listen in as well. Any, any message that you'd want to share with them? Well, I think my platform, what I really want uh, people to take from it is that, um, we're not alone because that's something that was really hard for me after Charlie's diagnosis is that I felt like no one understood. I felt so alone and I don't know, I think again, it's a human thing. It's really hard to, to get through things when you feel uh, like an island 
and I I really need needed uh, to connect with people, and I think the social media really helped helped me. And now I'm hoping that I can help other people feel understood and supported and just uh, less alone. You know, we, we don't know. I, I don't know all of my followers, but I know they can read my words and see that we're all going through similar things, even though it's not exactly the same. And I mean, it's little comfort, but it's... Mm-hmm it's something, you know, it's better than right, feeling definitely. like an And I think I know you made me feel that way. So being able to connect that way. So I appreciate that. And, and, um, so you know, too. so if people want to find your work, cause this might be the first time that they are hearing about you, where, where can they find you? Um, at the autism cafe on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, <laughs> TikTok, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> And I have a book, I have two actually. Oh, my second book just uh, got done printing today. It's being shipped oh, to my publisher right now. So, Can can you share the name yeah. with us? Oh, yeah, right. Uh, so the first one is called All Across the Spectrum. It's about autism. I talk about uh, my diagnosis, Charlie's diagnosis. And like I said, I'm trying to make other parents feel less alone. Um, and the second book is called Be the, Be the One. And it's more of a relationship, uh, self-help, talk about anxiety. And um, I guess it's kind of more about my own autism and my own personality Mm -hmm. without actually saying it is. But yeah. Oh, great. Well, I think there's a lot of people who, um, you know, are are looking to find a lot more information and consume it. And uh, again, exactly for what you're saying is to not be alone and to not feel like um, you're the only one experiencing and, and, you know, I'm having more and more conversations like that around everyone dropping the mask, right? Everyone not feeling like they have to wear that mask wherever they are and just understanding each other's humanness. And I appreciate you bringing that um, to, uh, to the community. Thank you. Absolutely. For Thank today. you so much. And um, I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.